Hello, everyone. Welcome to VR Download. I am Ian Hamilton, broadcasting from a Quest Pro in New York City, joined by David Heaney on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Thank you so much for coming and joining with us today. It's been a while since we've been in here. It's great to see you virtually. And I feel a little nervous because you guys can actually see my facial expressions today, thanks to the hard work of David Heaney over here. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, David, what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, as you say, it's been a very long time. I haven't been on this show since before the announcement of both Quest 3 and Apple Vision Pro. So this is a, a return to force after quite significant announcements. That's obviously also the main reason that we haven't been able to do this. We've just been you know, very swamped with launching our new website, with all of the VR news. We are still a very small team covering a rapidly moving industry where the news is just coming at us every day. So we really, really appreciate everyone's support. And yeah, now we hope to be back with this show every week. So we hope that we've finally gotten to a place with the news and with our new website that we can actually commit to bringing this to you every single week. Yeah, we, we took this time to, to for summer to sort of rebuild, sort of get our ducks in a row as we progress this uh, new phase. We really do expect uh, a phase like no other when we head to the Quest 3 period and then you know onward from there. Uh, we've got Vision Pro lining up. We've got new products. Uh, Big Screen Beyond is about to come out on the PC side. We've got new announcements over there as well. It's it's nonstop what is coming over the next few months. And we've been kind of making sure we've got the studio ready for everyone. And it's, it's so funny. Um, I was noticing just in a few seconds, you are not using a Quest Pro today, right, David? Correct. Yeah, I'm still using Quest 2. So you'll notice that... Ian has his facial expression tracking and eye tracking, whereas I'm still using a Quest 2. So this is still just simulated mouth movement based on my audio output. And my eyes are just simulated based on me as the developer tagging every virtual object in the scene with a saliency rating. So then Meta's algorithm decides where to look. And I've gotten into the habit of only broadcasting without that extra facial knowledge in there, without those extra expressions being broadcast and I have to liven it up now. I have to, you know, get, you know, get more active. Gosh, yeah, there goes my notes. Uh, Another key thing that you've gotten up and running here is uh, Stevie, the TV should be somewhat functional, right? Yeah. So one of the major things we had to do with this software is when we launched our new website, Our app actually grabs all the images that we show you from in the studio from our website. It talks to our website's image gallery and we had to completely rewrite that for our new website. So now I can just cast images again, which is great because as you know, since our new website launched, we were just showing that constant upload VR background. It's going to make it a lot easier to communicate certain things. And it's also just going to make it nicer to watch for everyone because you can actually actually see what we're talking about we still don't have videos though but that's something we hope to have in the coming weeks yeah i can't wait to broadcast this myself right now this is broadcasting from uh, london area uh from, from david heaney's uh location i'd like to set that up on my side and uh this is it's it's really cool uh to finally have this and it was weird there it was a new dialogue was that i've never seen that dialogue did you have to pick that dialogue for um adding natural facial expressions and eye tracking or was that pre-written for you by 
by Meta. Yeah, that permissions dialogue, any app that uh, wants to use your facial expressions or eye tracking has to ask for that. So you'll notice even something like uh, Rad, Red Matter 2 asks for your eye tracking permission because it uses foveated rendering. But an app like this, an app like Horizon Workrooms, the only thing that doesn't have to ask permission for that is Quest Home. If you're actually in Quest Home with other avatars and, and someone has Quest Pro, you'll notice you see their facial expression. So Meta's own first-party app doesn't have to ask permission to get your face data, but all third-party developers do. So yeah, it's really funny uh, to get used to the idea that my facial expressions can go there. Like, And making a weird expression at a weird moment is not going to translate well uh, on this animated avatar like it would maybe make sense uh on a face but like it, it i don't know it's going to be weird to get for people to get used to i can't uh personally go back and look at our first avatars anymore that you built several years ago now um i'm gonna i don't know if i'm gonna start preferring people to have the face and eye tracking turned on or if i'm just fine with with the simulated system what are your feelings on that as the person who actually went and built this added feature. Well, yeah, to be clear, obviously we're just using Meta's uh, API for face tracking, but as a lot of the commenters are saying, uh, the Quest Pro face tracking isn't actually great all the time. It doesn't seem to uh, actually you know, look to me as good as even the simulated face tracking right now. The other problem is, as a lot of people have noticed, you do get this kind of um, half-opened eyes issue with a lot of people based on how the uh, your eyes are positioned in the headset relative to the lenses. In Apple Vision Pro, it actually uses two eye tracking cameras per eye, whereas Quest Pro only uses one. Uh, though, you know, it has one for each eye and then one above your eyes for your eyebrows. So yeah, it, it'll, you know, it's interesting that it's not great. I also wonder once you get Quest 3, will you use Quest 3 without it or will you prefer to use Quest Pro? You know, we can obviously in, in the coming weeks tweak things like the sample rate to see if that makes it look better. But, you know, I it's hard to tell whether it's Meta's avatars or the Quest Pro face tracking, but I don't think it's anywhere near the kind of face tracking that eventually is going to be there when VR is a kind of widespread mainstream consumer phenomenon. I'm using a Quest Pro right now. And over the last few months, I've been, last few weeks, uh, but over the last few months, I've been dealing with this horrible bug where the left controller is not syncing with the headset no matter what I do. Uh, I've done resets, multiple resets on the headset, uh, tried unpairing, pairing the device again. Uh, just won't come back. I was going to try again today after uh, getting a Quest 2 again uh, out and hooking that up to come into our studio. And it's such a bummer because like, I love the Quest Pro's lightness and our audience can tell us whether the microphone is popping, but I don't even have the microphone wind guards on this headset right now. The wind guards cause this huge problem where uh, this this dock that you buy with the that, with the headset uh, won't actually charge the headset with the wind guards on it to fix the microphone problem. So I've got to have a separate uh, cord running to there to charge up the headset, and then the controllers are on the pad and uh one controller won't connect my my dominant hand controller won't connect so here's this expensive high-end headset that actually has the best visuals like my, my preferred visuals in vr right now i love how crisp and clear these lenses are but all these other th problems are happening hardware and software wise that like 
just making a nightmare situation. And that is one of the things that kind of happened while we were away from the broadcast was Quest Pro is probably heading towards end of life, right? Yeah, uh, let's let's actually talk about that. That's a good segue into talking about this Quest Pro situation because it obviously is the ugly stepchild over at Meta. There are a lot less users out there. Meta is going to prioritize things for Quest 2 and software fixes and making sure the experience is great on Quest 2, which has you know, probably what, uh, 50 times, 100 times the amount of active users as Quest Pro. So obviously, if, if anyone's not familiar with the report Ian's uh, speaking about, it was a report from the information that suggests that Meta has actually stopped new component orders for Quest Pro. So that doesn't mean the Quest Pro production has ended, but it does mean that the components that they've built up in stock that are going into production are not going to be replenished. So companies do tend to buy significant quantities of components for manufacturing in advance. Uh, that, mean, that means when those components run out, manufacturing will end. So Meta has said that they will continue to sell Quest Pro alongside Quest 3, which to me suggests that this isn't going to happen this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if by the middle of next year, we see Quest Pro permanently go out of stock. Yep. Uh, and I, one of the, my thoughts on that was it might actually be a while, uh, but we'll see. They may try to, I'm seeing in our comments, the idea that maybe it gets cut even further below the $1,000 price that it dropped to, uh, just to clear stock and make it just about the lower end Quest 2 and Quest 3 going forward. That would be an interesting strategy. I don't know if they'll do it. They could, you know, keep that thing on shelves for a while as a dev kit um, and, and get people playing with the face and eye tracking for those next generation devices. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's just, you know, as you say, the main advantage there in Quest Pro, or one of the main advantages, is those pancake lenses. And those same lenses are going to be available in Quest 3. Quest 3 is in almost every way going to be a superior device from everything we know to Quest Pro. It's going to have those same lenses with a twice as powerful chipset with an actual depth sensor for better hand tracking, for better mixed reality, for reconstruction of your environment that some leaks suggest may enable a smart guardian where you don't have to paint out your guardian anymore it's just detected based on your furniture and it's three-dimensional so you can now reach over your couch and your bed and use that as part of your play space in all of these ways this just looks like it's going to be a superior headset with higher resolution as well all the quest pro will really have over it is the battery in the rear the eye tracking and the face tracking and you know we know that the touch pro controllers will be compatible with quest 3 if you want so even those controllers can be brought over i you know the idea that meta might keep quest pro around as a dev kit the thing is you know they've made this decision to not put eye tracking into quest 3 that's a huge profound decision that's going to affect things for years to come in the sense that if quest if quest 4 is in the same 3 year cycle as quest 3 then it's another three years until Meta could potentially introduce eye tracking in its mainline headset. And even by then, if they're going to take the same strategy of continuing to sell Quest 3 alongside Quest 4, they're going to be actively selling and supporting a headset without eye tracking for the better part of this decade. And that means that they're not going to be able to design a, a interaction system around eye tracking in the same way Apple has. Uh, so I just think Meta may have decided, you know, this thing hasn't sold well enough 
the Quest Pro. It's just a distraction to our core mission. Let's just forget about the high end for a few years and focus directly on what we were doing before, which is one headset at a affordable price point for as many people as possible. Yeah, so I, I've been struggling with this. I don't know where we want to get to in this conversation. We've got Apple Vision Pro coming up, and we know that that is at the complete other end of the spectrum pricing-wise. We can dive into that because we've seen Apple Vision Pro. I want to bring people up who might not be familiar with what we are. I want to bring them up to speed and remind them because it's been such a long time since we've been in here. This is VR Download. It's a podcast that we broadcast live from virtual reality. So David Heaney's wearing a headset. I'm wearing a headset. And this studio is built by him. He's a developer who went and constructed this in Unity using a lot of the APIs that are out there right now. Uh, and this runs on uh, a variety of meta headsets at this point with hopes of, of getting it running up and running on other devices in the future. We've had it running on the Index in the past, but it was kind of a pain over on PC. So this is the latest iteration. We're using uh, the best avatars we can get our hands on right now, and yes, they look weird. But we have also tried the super high-end avatars that we know are coming, uh, both from the Vision Pro and from the Meta ecosystem, that are, are eventually going to let us represent ourselves as sort of our best selves on any given day. Um, thank you all for tuning in to our show. Uh, hello, Annie Cleric, uh, Anti Cleric. Uh, welcome back. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, we are going to head into a massive, massive phase of change in this industry. And one of the things that is changing uh, that, that is going up for debate or, or like sort of uh, going hand in hand with this eye tracking, face tracking situation is the move towards hand tracking over controller tracking. If I were to bet, we're still a couple years out from face and eye tracking being an important component for developers to consider in their applications. But immediately in the next year or two, uh, next six months even, whether you support hand tracking or controller tracking is probably going to affect the amount of marketing uh, that you're going to get thrown behind your game by the various partners. And it's really, really interesting to think of a device here that doesn't have face and eye tracking, doesn't have controllers, and adds controllers as an add-on. Whereas we know that Apple Vision Pro is going to come out of the box without controllers, but it's at such an extraordinary price. Uh, there's an opportunity here over the next year to sort of cement, uh, cement the minimum viable package for a hand tracking only interface at just a couple hundred dollars. And Apple's going to spend years catching up to that, albeit with this incredible software ecosystem they're going to be able to build around Vision Pro. But uh, that's that's kind of what we're in for over the next year, I think. Yeah, I just want to push back on out of the box. It's not just out of the box. From what Apple has said, I do not expect Apple to support uh, third-party controllers in any kind of meaningful time frame, you know, maybe in five years or 10 years, but not anytime soon. There's been a lot of kind of, uh, what's the phrase, copium about this over the past few months that Apple will support third-party uh, VR controllers that, you know, they're going to partner with Sony for the PlayStation VR 2 controllers or HTC for some Vive controllers. But Apple was very clear in their keynote about calling these clunky hardware controllers. And we, we saw a report from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that suggested that Apple is neither working on their own 
VR controllers, nor planning to support anyone else's. It seems very clear that Apple is going to, for the first you know, foreseeable years at least, very heavily focus on this vision of using eyes and hands. You just pick up the headset and the tethered battery, of course, put it on and you're ready to go. There's nothing else. You're not obstructed from using anything else. Uh, that is obviously, as you are suggesting, going to have ripples on the on industry. Uh, we saw, and we'll talk about later, uh, the leaks of a Samsung headset prototype that the report that leaked it said will not have controllers either. I would expect that many of the players uh, that enter because of Apple are going to follow the same strategy of not using controllers. You know, other than some niche players, I think the only it's very possible that the only big player that is going to actually care about controllers is going to be Meta, and they kind of have forged out this gaming niche within VR that it looks like from a hardcore gaming perspective at least Apple doesn't want to pursue and Samsung may not want to pursue either it's even possible that Google who is Samsung's software partner building that version of Android for this headset may themselves focus entirely on hand tracking so you know that will obviously ripple through to any other companies other than Samsung that wants to build headsets for Google's new platform Hey, we've got a couple longtime VR developers in our audience today. Hello, Geek Odin. Hello, uh, Blair. Thank you so much for tuning in. If anyone else is out there, please call out in the comments. I love seeing the different countries that we have tuning in to us globally. Uh, we're sorry it's been so long since we've been able to broadcast, but I am I'm just so excited to get into this next phase with you. It's it's I've I talked with Kyle a little bit, but gosh, we've both seen a lot of several headsets each uh since meeting last that are kind of big deals that that represent the next phase of of all of this in in a lot of different ways um why don't you bring us up to present a little bit i, I would love to recap where you just came from for people let's at least share that with everyone yeah we'll definitely talk about that but i you know last week i was at seagraph which is a yearly computer graphics comp uh, conference that means both hardware and software and as i will i was able to try meta's two prototypes that they were showing as well as some other things uh, so there's butterscotch verifocal which was a demo of retinal human eye resolution and verifocal in the same headset so that was fascinating to try and you can read my impressions already on uploadvr.com i also tried flamera which was their feature prototype of reprojection free pass-through which we plan to have impressions on uploadvr.com at some point during this week but yeah uh, you know we'll talk about it more but that view of retinal resolution and verifocal was a kind of north star for where visual quality is going to go in these headsets. And if there's one thing I think you should take away from that, it's that the headsets that we have today and even the headsets that are coming in the next year are still only the beginning. This technology is going to get to a visual fidelity and a capability level that is far beyond what we have today within the next decade. Uh, we are much, much earlier in the cycle than many of the uh, naysayers would have you think. This is going to be a very long path, as people have been saying for the past 10 years. I know some people will say people have been saying that for the past 10 years, but 10 years is nothing on the scale of new technology platforms. Personal computers emerged in the 60s, 70s and 80s, and they only really started to take off in the late 90s on a large scale. Yeah, so... To recap where Quest 3 is, we know Quest 3 is coming. Uh, we expect the next big announcements to be in September, September 27th, probably to be introduced or announced by Mark Zuckerberg himself at the MetaConnect event. Um, $500 is where it's going to start. 
with the Quest 2 still selling under that at $300. It's going to be hard in my mind to recommend a Quest 2, even though it's you know a fantastic package. I know the upgrades for that extra $200 is going to be significant. So we have every expectation that very soon Quest 3 is going to be the headset to recommend uh, going forward. Um, then there's Apple Vision Pro coming early next year, showing the super high end of what's possible in an all-inclusive package with tons of sensors, with a new sort of uh, interaction paradigm built from the ground up for uh, finger and eye tracking. And before then, uh, we've got these headsets that we're going to talk about next. Before we get to what you saw at Seagraph, we're going to talk about Samsung, the immersed visor, and the big screen beyond, right? What else do we want to talk about with Quest 3 and Vision Pro before we get into those? So with Quest 3, my, my take is that it seems like an excellent headset, but I do think that $500 is its biggest liability. It, I would really obviously not recommend that someone picks up a Quest 2 three years in, but at the same time, Quest 2 launched at $300 and it's now back to $300. $500 is a significant jump up from that. You know, at $300, you're in the same territory as a Nintendo Switch. At $500, you're, you know, higher than what the PlayStation 4 Pro was. This is a, for, for most average people, this is an expensive device. This, this is the most expensive of the Quest mainline that's come out so far. We, we saw in a leaked memo back in March that Meta itself was concerned about this, saying that they their biggest marketing concern will be to, to prove that all of the power here is worth it. The, the way in which I think they will potentially be able to justify that is the fact that this is just not just a VR device anymore. This is as much a mixed reality device. If they can actually deliver on room-aware mixed reality that doesn't require manual setup and if the reports are true that the, the pass-through here is good enough to read your phone that does become compelling to people in a way that the quest 2 wasn't when you can put this thing on and continue to interact with your environment without having to take the headset off that does change what the product is and as much as many kind of uh, hardcore vr users are somewhat against the idea of mixed reality i think the same kind of casual users that pick the Quest 2 up for fitness that a lot of people never expected to happen this early. The same people that pick it up and just play Beat Saber, as much as you may criticize them, they are a huge percentage of the VR market. A lot of those people are going to find the idea of, of uh, shooting enemies in their in their actual living room and playing puzzle games that take place on their actual uh, coffee table quite compelling, I think. So it's, it's really about the content that they can deliver for mixed reality and virtual reality. Yeah, and I, I think uh, Meta is going to lead when it comes to content um, for a little while here at least, especially when they bring to bear all the controller tracking games um, that that have been in in the works for years now. Um, the So I saw a comment here from Greece uh, suggesting that maybe we would see a Quest 3 Christmas drop down to $400. That's an interesting idea, uh, considering there is kind of a pricing hole there to slip into for the higher-end device. Moving a lot of them in a very short span of time is something that Meta wants to do here before everyone else catches up. It's it's kind of like uh, we know that Quest 1... like do, for, for those that have caught up with 
this even in the last few years, you know, we do have successive years, multiple, two or three of them at least, where the Quest was the hottest present of the Christmas season, I would say. Yes, it's very expensive, but yes, it's sold out uh, as well. Well, you know, yes, that happened, but that happened with the Quest to $300. I don't think we're going to see a a $100 discount anytime soon. It's not something you do when you're just launching a product. Maybe next Christmas, that's something we could see happen, depending on the sales. But, you know, usually they're, I would expect they're going to sell everything they want to in, in the first quarter. The issue with a product like this at a price like this isn't about how many you sell in the first quarter to the people who are raring to get one. The issue is keeping up those sales over time throughout the what we expect based on Quest 2. It will be a three-year primary lifespan of this device. That's something that will be more of an issue of content and eventually is going to need to be priced. But we do have to remember that there is a rumor uh, from a from a Verge report that appeared to see a meta internal roadmap suggesting that Meta will actually launch a cheaper headset in 2024 next year to replace Quest 2's place in the lineup. We don't know anything specific about that headset other than that their goal is to be the most affordable in the VR market. I would expect that based on that description, it could be a Quest 3 Lite. So you do see something that comes in there as an introductory price model to sell to people who just can't justify spending $500 no matter what and comes in at that $300 price point. For now, that's going to be what Quest 2 continues to be. I think simply because of the pricing, there will be people that continue to buy a Quest 2 as their introduction, but that will be a, a big shame because that processor is now three years old and you're getting double the GPU performance at least in Quest 3. Yeah, people are asking about retention. I was thinking about retention as well as we were discussing this. That is one of the historic comments about this whole market where uh, no matter how cheap it is, it's too heavy and it takes too long to start up the device. Um, and and there, when you get in, the content isn't alluring enough to keep you there for a, a long span of time. And that combination just means that there are a lot of devices that go into disuse. Um, Quest 3, between its... Uh, size difference and uh lenses it's it's going to be a powerful upgrade and i don't know i i remember people noticing the jump from quest one to quest two being a very big improvement um i think it's going to seem minuscule that bump when compared to what we see from quest two to quest three yeah, this is going to be very much so a generational boost. I do think when it comes to retention, the friction factor that's going to matter a lot more is that color pass through. The fact that you're not, you know, people are not going into a by default isolating experience. If you combine that with the charging dock that we just saw pass through the FCC, if people have that on a charging dock, when we compare that with Bloomberg's report that because of this new processor, everything loads faster, the, the system menu is snappier, downloads are faster, installs are faster, all, all of this general speed improvement, uh, we could see something that ends up being better retained. But again, that is down to content. It's down to uh, how good is Asgard's Wrath 2 when it arrives? You know, that's the 60R AAA Norse RPG. How good is Assassin's Creed VR? Is it going to be a well-designed experience that has a big budget? Or is it going to be like Medal of Honor, where it has a big budget, but just didn't, just clearly wasn't designed with people who had an intimate knowledge of VR design? And then it's going to 
be a big question of what happens next year. What kind of content can Meta announce? Uh, is Roblox enough to keep the younger crowd in? Uh, can can Meta build on the momentum of the, this new Horizon Worlds shooter that they've released that seems to bring in a lot of the new uh, texture and model importing? That's going to be more of a content issue for retention, but it will definitely be helped by the charging pad and the ability to see the real world around you in high quality. So are there any... One thing I was watching with that shooter that uh, Meta just did over in uh, Horizon Worlds, has any platform, VRChat, Rec Room, or Horizon Worlds, deployed a sort of must-have asymmetric game where you can play on the phone um, against people in VR and have a single game world that, that's supported across multiple game systems like that? Rec Room, I would think, would be closest. And... Uh, We've seen the pause button hit on what they're doing in Horizon Worlds for long enough. Uh, Akron, Attack of the Squirrels, is an incredible game. Um, but I don't see why that game wouldn't be pretty doable um, on on a Rec Room-type platform. Yeah, I'm. I, I, obviously there are games in Rec Room that are played across platform, but whether they actually have a different control scheme and uh, play type, based on the platform. I'm not 100% sure. If there are any rec room uh, players in the chat, let us know if it's actually possible and viable to make something like that where you're adapting the controls and you know even what type of character you are based on the platform. I'm not even sure that's actually something that's supported, but that's something that I really have, I'm shocked that hasn't happened for PlayStation VR 2. This seems like, t- to me, what I, I am shocked Sony didn't at least announce, never mind release, is a you know, high-funded AAA title where one player is on the TV with the uh, gamepad and the other player is in VR and they're either working against each other or with each other. It's really, really surprising given that that is the advantage of console VR is that you don't need to do all like a multiplayer setup thing where like with Ikron where you have to download one app on your iPad and one app on your headset and get all this kind of synchronized. You just, you have Couch Co-op by default on console really shocked that Sony hasn't done that. Uh, there's one last thing I forgot to say about Quest 3 retention, which is I think if this smart guardian is real, that's going to be one of the biggest changes for retention. That's going to be one of the biggest friction killers. Because right now, a lot of the time with Quest 2, it either doesn't remember your play space or you've moved so much furniture around that your play space is different or you play in a different room depending on which rooms are free in your house. And that step of having to paint out your boundary, it's not a big deal for some people, but it, uh, it, you know, to a lot of people that adds to that extra time, when you pick up your phone, it's ready to go. When you pick up your Nintendo Switch, it's ready to go. John Carmack talked about this idea of VR needing to be instant. It needs to be, you put on the headset, you open your app, and within five seconds, you're in. That's what really builds those kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, addiction loops that other gaming platforms have. If Quest 3 really works like that, if you can put on your headset and look around and it generates your guardian for you within a few seconds, that's going to be one of the biggest pillars of friction. Yeah, uh, I think a lot about a phone, right? Uh, if these things have access to Messenger or eventually FaceTime messages, you should be able to have do not disturb uh, settings on it, ringer settings. And when you put it on, you could be faced with a poster of the person uh, whose call you want to answer uh, or not. It, it can be ready to go for you that way. Um, but it don't, it, it's kind of ridiculous that we are realistically from like, you know, you've got to turn the device on first. You've got to port a call over from another device into that device, or you've got to go into like a, 
third-party app. It's just ridiculous. The whole system, the entire stack of getting connected in a headset over audio is just broken fundamentally. But that changes if the device is on instantaneously and can answer phone calls just like your other devices can answer phone calls. Uh, I'm, it's mind-boggling to me that that isn't here and hasn't been here for years. Yeah, I think that's obviously going to be one of the advantages of Apple's ecosystem where they have all that device integration. So, you know, maybe you're getting a FaceTime on your iPhone and you can just click a button to transfer it to your Vision Pro. Or if you're trying to start a session, maybe the Vision Pro itself can kind of ring out of the speakers. Uh, just Robo, uh, Wabo was questioning whether the PS5 could actually do what we're describing with a, a full double split screen. I mean, of course it could. It's just that the games would have to be at a lower graphical fidelity than something like Resident Evil or Horizon Call of the Mountain. In the same way that consoles have done, you know, four player split screen for decades now, it's it's just a design decision. If the game is designed around that, it will be designed for that in mind. And I, yeah, that could be really compelling. But yeah, I think it'll be fascinating to come back to your point. It'll be fascinating to see how Apple does integrate with iMessage, how it integrates with FaceTime and whether it feels more cohesive. Because obviously you have this problem that when you have a Quest, this is running, yes, it's Android underneath, but the actual system software on top is all Metas. And that doesn't integrate well with any of your current devices. You know, they don't have direct first party integration with an Android phone or an iPhone or your Windows PC. They obviously, you can mirror your notifications, but it's still very much so is obvious that this is not a first party device. It's not like when you use a Chromebook and all of your Google photos and your Wi-Fi passwords and your messages are automatically transferred. It's not like when you use a MacBook with an iPhone and all the same happens. This is very much so maybe Meta's biggest challenge, especially when it comes to AR glasses that we'll talk about later, is the fact that they don't have this existing platform. They're trying to build up an entire computing platform and ecosystem from scratch, but with only some devices, only the future devices. They don't have your existing laptop or phone. Yeah, and it, it's it's both an opportunity and a curse, just like all those things, right? They can start and do some things fresh. I think I alluded to some of this on a previous show, but when I saw their research teams over at Meta, they had uh, tech that would have been amazing in an AirPods. They had tech that would be amazing in a watch. But they didn't have the products to back up those research features that would be at home inside of a product. Well, because they're entering, uh, let's say, a watch category into seven generations in uh, or even more compared to where Apple is, they could choose a different sort of minimum feature to begin with uh, as their focus than, than what Meta has focused on. Uh, making it work amazing for VR first would be an incredible feature for a haptic wristband uh, and not have it as sort of like an add-on feature to the rest of the watch as Apple might do with an Apple Watch uh, and eventually integrating with its ecosystem. Um, but I, I think about also, uh, I've I've I'm still using the Ray-Bans, and there was that report we ran um, suggesting that most Ray-Bans, the vast majority of Ray-Ban stories, sunglasses, just go into disuse, just like Quests, more or less. You know, all other VR headsets go into misuse or disuse. Well, well not most. It's not true that most Quests go in. You know, back when there were around 10 million Quest 2s out there, we saw that report that there were around 6 million monthly active users. So, you know, I, I agree that so the VR, no, retention numbers probably aren't the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot more people are using their quest than are using their Ray-Ban. You know, that's okay. like, I, 
I, I do not deny that there is a retention issue in VR compared to traditional platforms, today's VR. But I also do think there are a lot of people who love to exaggerate it and love to pretend that, you know, nobody is really actively using VR, which is just not true. You can hop into platforms like VR Chat and Rec Room. You can hop into Population One. You can hop into Gorilla Tag. And there are always lots and lots of people playing that. If you talk to developers of multiplayer games that are high up on the store, you'll hear that there are plenty of people. I think Rec Room alone two years ago had 3 million monthly active VR users. Not users, VR users, and most of those requests too. So there are millions of people, let's be clear about this, there are millions of people actively using VR, whereas there are maybe 10,000 people using their Ray-Bans. All right, so you you pointed out great, uh, perfectly. Um, And I'm seeing in our comments, uh, Christian say, I use my Ray-Ban stories daily simply as sunglasses, and I have found myself doing that too from time to time they're they're awesome to just have there and then you occasionally have little speakers if you want uh, a little awkward because you don't want to use them in public settings but when i was going through all the settings um on a recent like reinstall of everything on the ray-ban stories it's clear meta is still doing a lot to develop and like evolve what that system is capable of ahead of a next generation the only reason i bring up that is this this idea of making a one to two hour phone call to a friend or family member it seems so alien even on the ray-ban stories glasses and it seems alien with a vr headset and i think it's it's just such a retention uh misstep to not have that be a core function of these devices uh from the outset and until i think until that's fixed you're not going to see these you know, this is always going to be the thing you do in- instead of talking to your friends in some other way. I, I guess it, yeah, for it to be a purely social thing where you're not with a friend because you're playing a game, say it's mini golf or 11 table tennis or even a shooter like Population One, for it to be social for social sake in the same way that FaceTime is, we're, we're going to need f- better face tracking and better avatars. It, it, it feels like it's not like a fundamental issue of the devices, but it's it's the software that's possible because of the, the hardware we have today. It's once we get those codec avatars that we talk about a lot on this show, once you can drive them with really high quality face tracking, then social for social sake becomes important. But today with, you know, Quest 3 is not going to have face tracking and that's going to be Meta's flagship headset for years to come. Uh, the codec avatars is not something that's uh, possible to do yet although we're gonna have an article about that in the next week or so so stay tuned on that but you know even those those personas that you tried on apple vision pro you noted that they don't really pass the uncanny valley yet it feels like it's not that vr isn't one day possible one day practical for this it's just that in the near term the avatars aren't ready the headsets aren't ready for now gaming is going to be the way you socially hang out with people on these headsets I get that. But we've got to put that in context of both on Apple's platform and on Meta's platform. They've just enabled on their messenger side the way to have a voice call as your avatar. Right. So they've already got from the ground up support for your voice only. Right. Um, And then if you want, you can animate with an avatar instead of showing your actual face. Then if you want, you turn the avatar off and show your actual room. 
then if you want, you can turn your background on, right? Like I'm, I'm talking that, that these features aren't active in every single video chat app. Some of these are in Zoom, some of these are in Google, but you can turn off and turn on what you want, whether it's your background, whether it's your actual face, whether it's your voice, uh, you want to go mute for a few seconds. That's all of those features aren't a built in to the quest ecosystem when they could be like the mess. It's just, it's so silly to me. We've gone through this ecosystem over on Meta's uh, system where they've ripped out live streaming to Facebook and then rebat added it back in as an experimental feature. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I think the problem for me is that the avatars are, are not the point. The avatars are something that you endure to get the advantages of VR. You know, I, I think this kind of thing where you call from a headset to a, a smartphone like this or what you're talking about that was recently launched where you're on your smartphone but your face is translated to an avatar to be nothing more than a gimmick. It, it's maybe interesting for people that don't want to show their face to each other, but Again, the point of being in VR with someone is not the, your avatars. If you, if we had a magical technology that let your uh, entire body and face be real time 3D scanned and transmitted into VR, we would use it. The point, the point of VR that makes social interaction great within it is the shared sense of space, the sense of real scale, and the sense that you're in an actual environment with the person and that they are actually standing in front of you because they're in 3d and that they're at correct scale they're not on a little rectangle in your hands like i feel more like you are in front of me right now than i do when i see a little tiny video stream of you in a little rectangle in my hand even though that one looks like you and looks like an actual human the fact that we have a sense a shared sense of space here means that especially when we're in a group, if, you know, I say this all the time, but if there's another person over here to my left, I hear them over there. If you're, you know, I hear you from my right, we, we can point at objects in space together. I can point at this. It's not, you're not looking at a screen that shows a little mouse that represents in, in the most natural human way possible. We can see the same objects in the same position. And then, you know, we can do things like play a board game by just interacting on a table in front of us. We can play chess. We can play mini golf. All of that is because you're in a 3D environment together and the avatars are not the point. They're just the only way that you technologically can represent each other within that 3D space. You're, you're making a case for the value of, of real-time uh, co-location embodiment of, of two avatars. I get that. You have to also be able to have people outside VR call in, see in, in various ways. That's like the, the, the running problem that we've seen uh, various startups try to solve over the years. And just because they're at the wrong layer, they can't make it possible. Um, it's, it is odd that Meta hasn't been able to find that layer either. Uh, what do we want to talk about next? So, yeah, I think we should maybe talk about the Samsung headset. Just to reply to a few comments here first. Uh, Wabo, yes, the PlayStation 5 VR can show a different view on the TV as shows on the headset. I think some developers already use this. Maybe Job Simulator, if I'm remembering correctly, can show you a third-person perspective. This is something that's built into the Unity integration. Uh, Greasemaster says, Uncle Larry isn't putting on a headset to join me in a shared space, but I can answer his call without taking off the headset. Uh, one day, Uncle Larry will, because it'll feel like sitting next to you, not with avatars that look like this or this, but with avatars that look like the codec avatars uh, that yeah. we've seen in Meta's it's research. It is it is really silly to imagine a future where 
kids are playing Beat Saber and their grandparents are also wearing a headset but not playing Beat Saber. They're just wearing the headset to spectate a uh, a Beat Saber match. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the fidelity of the avatars. You know, again, if anyone's not familiar with the Kodak avatars, this is a Kodak avatar. This is not a picture of a, of someone standing in a studio. This is a virtual representation of that studio and a virtual avatar. This is a 3D model. And I'd love to be able to show videos like we normally can. Hopefully we can in future weeks. But this is something that these companies, Apple and Meta, are going to achieve within the next decade. They're going to be able to show a representation of your friend or loved one that is driven in real time by face and eye tracking that looks exactly like them. So much so that your brain accepts that they are standing there in front of you. And that is a technology that is prof- as profound as the invention of the telephone, as, as profound as the invention of video calls. That is something that even your grandmother will will want to use because it's it's a feeling of being next to someone that can only be achieved by getting there in real life, which for many reasons you can't do. I'm not saying this will replace being in real life with people, but when you're 500 miles away or even on when you're 50 miles away in the evening, this is going to be a technology that feels like you're much closer together than staring at little rectangles of videos of each other. It's funny. And we're kind of, we're demonstrating like right on the line of this technology. I remember there were being this line in Ready Player One um, where the good guy is talking to the bad guy. Um, and I think the bad guy notices that the good guy is using uh, facial suppression or emotion suppression software. So he's, he's turned off the facial recognition technology in his headset for a minute so that the bad guy can't see that he's really freaked out. Um, I love that in our demonstration today between these two headsets, we have almost the like the hardware demonstration of being right on the line between needing to have uh, face tracking and not needing to have it. What are you doing over there, David? I'm just plugging my headset in. The uh, Quest Pro has a, despite what people thought and despite the official spec sheets, we've noticed in this app that the Quest Pro actually has a noticeably longer battery life than Quest 2. So I'll just be back in about 30 seconds as I plug my headset in. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's do some weird. Let's do some weird faces at the camera. Hello. I'm over here. Hi. Uh, so the, the one big drawback is there's no tongue. Ah, but I say F you, David Heaney. I can't spit at him too. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we've heard from Meta that they are quote exploring tongue tracking for Quest Pro. I also think some of the people who data mine the Quest firmware have seen that that's been added in the past few months. So I expect unless Meta has laid off those people in the last week of layoffs, you should expect Quest Pro to get that tongue tracking. And it is it is a big missing feature. If you're in a Quest Pro app where you're looking at yourself in a mirror and you stick your tongue out, it kills the illusion that it's actually you. But it's remarkable that there is actually somewhat of an illusion of it being you before that point. All right, what are we talking about next? Yeah, let's maybe talk about the Samsung headset, the Immersed Visor, and Big Screen Beyond. So some of those uh, other headsets. Yeah, so we know that Big Screen Beyond is moving close to shipping. And then Immersed, which is the other major sort of co-location, work-from-home, virtual screen app. Uh, You know, all these people chasing multiplayer while we have... Uh, Guy Godin, virtual desktop, single player extraordinaire in our comments. 
ignoring and uh, not caring about multiplayer while immersed in big screen care about multiplayer so much that they've decided to make headsets because they think that people will spend more time on their platforms if given sort of a North Star experience to to on the, the, the hardware side. Um, why don't you explain what these are a little bit? Yeah, so I think a lot of people will probably be familiar with the big screen beyond. Stand by as you just bring up an image here. It's a PC VR, Steam VR headset that is breaking grounds on how small a fully functional headset can be. It is absolutely tiny, 127 grams. Uh, Ian has worn one in a hands-on impression. Uh, you can see here, uh, this thing is a PC VR headset that is tethered to your PC. It requires Steam VR tracking base stations, which are $150 each. You have to bring your own input. So if you're using just big screen, you might just use your keyboard. If you're using sim racing, you'll use your uh, your normal setup there. If you want to play room scale VR with this, you're going to need to get something like index controllers. But when you do put all that together, uh, as, as Ian's pointed out, I have not worn this yet, but you, you can read Ian's impressions on our website. This thing is supremely comfortable. It seems to achieve its goal of a VR headset you can wear for hours and hours and hours on end and not feel like there's a brick on your face that you want to rip off. The reason that these companies have designed these headsets is exactly that, because these general purpose compute included standalone headsets like Quest and Pico are just too heavy to achieve that goal. It, depending on your face structure and who you are, it can be anywhere between 10 minutes to 30 minutes to two hours that something like a Quest or a Pico gets just intensely uncomfortable for you. So it's really interesting to see these companies start to tackle this problem. Now, that uh, big screen beyond headset is just starting to ship now. One of its unique features is that it's actually custom built per user to your IPD, the distance between your eyes. And that's one of the reasons it's able to be so small. It doesn't have a lens separation adjustment mechanism. It's just built to the distance of your eyes. And you can see here, uh, John Carmack wearing one is, uh, he actually reviewed it if you search John Carmack on our website. Yeah, as you know, I've recently did a move and uh, brought one base station in my immediate, you know, I put a bunch of stuff in storage and left it, uh, I'll, I'll move it later. And I brought one base station with me with no power cord for that base station. So when I set this up, uh, it's going to require uh, setting up multiple base stations on stands, doing the same thing that we've done for years. That like I, I get the diehards and I I love them to death. Uh, the this this category of gamer that has the space to put a base station in the corner of their play space and a base station in another corner, uh, and then just leave it there for years. Right. Like that is there. There are plenty of people that went from five to five pro or five to index. And then uh, this would be their next logical step. Like I know that there are people out there that want to know whether this is a viable upgrade. There were some people that went to the reverb Jeep two or the reverb from those steam systems. And a lot of people were disappointed by the state of controller tracking that they found there. Well, this theoretically is kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think that is going to be the market here. People who have an index or a Vive today 
who will, if they have an index, trade off a little bit of field of view to get something that they can wear comfortably for hours. It's interesting that big screens making this because I don't imagine you're going to see many people that want to use their core use case buying a thousand dollar headset that requires, you know, six hundred dollars of base stations and controllers to fully use. I think it's going to be the the VR chat enthusiasts that like to spend, you know, upwards of four to six to eight hours uh, on a weekend day with this thing. That obviously is still just the biggest liability that we keep hammering over and over that it is not a product you can just buy and use. You need to have a gaming PC. You need to have these base stations. You need to have these controllers, but that's fine. This isn't supposed to be a mass market product. This is a niche into itself. So I could also see, you know, sim racers wanting to use this flight sim enthusiasts, uh, PC VR enthusiasts in general. But again, it's, if you're an index user today, it's going to suck to go back around 10 degrees of field of view that's field of view is the key driver of immersion in VR. Big companies don't care about it enough. I will say that over and over again, that they don't seem to care about it enough, despite the fact that it's really what makes VR different is this wide field of view. Uh, so yeah, it, for a lot of people, they're not going to mind this. It's not like this thing's field of view is narrower than Quest 2. It's actually about somewhere between Quest 2 and Quest Pro. But if you are an index user, you're used to slightly beyond Quest Pro. And that's going to be a tough one to go back. So is there anything else you want to say about Beyond or can we talk about Visor? Uh, I want to talk about the interesting choice to not include built in audio or not like built into the box, right? Uh, there actually is a significant number of people who, like if you are a hardcore gamer, yes, there's a chance like you want to be on Call of Duty voice chat with a headset. But there's, I think, an, a substantial number of people who have sort of like a 5.1 or 2.1 series speaker system built around their PC. And then when you have that external to your room in a small room and then hook that up to something like a Beyond, you'd actually have a really, really, really nice combination there of, of great visuals and great audio for an experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the problem is you're... Go, you're not going to see it specialized. I, I can't remember. Someone prominent tweeted about this recently. The idea of, uh, ma- I think it was John Carmack potentially mapping a surround sound speaker setup to VR so that you do get that same level of positioning and using kind of HRTFs. It, it's theoretically possible to build, but that's not something that any system, you know, has today. But they, they do have this upcoming audio strap here, which, you know, to me, this looks fairly essential, except the problem that's obvious is that any headset that has a more rigid backstrap like this prevents you from lying back on a couch or in a gaming chair. That is one of the biggest problems with headset design. You know, if you have a flimsy strap like Quest 3 and Apple Vision, you can lie back in a in a chair or a sofa, but then you don't have as much support. This thing doesn't really need it. I wish there was somehow a way to get this kind of audio while still having a soft back, but yeah, this is something when I get a beyond, I'm going to be really curious to see how does this audio strap feel. I feel like it's kind of undersold by just being called an audio strap. In a way, it's a deluxe strap and audio at the same time. I was also, I saw someone asking about the Mocopy from Sony. You think that's going to be a good solution to use with Big Screen Beyond if you really have all that money to spend? Uh, get a full body tracking via those Sony trackers with a, with a slim headset like this? I'm really curious to try Mocopy. It's obviously 
uh, it's not a truly six degrees of freedom positionally tracked system. These are just accelerometers and gyroscopes in each tracker that is being fed into a body model. That means you're not going to get precise full body tracking and it's going to work best when you're in motion. I feel like if you're someone who's going to spend a thousand dollars on a headset and you've already got $300 of base stations and $300 of controllers, you might as well just go for Vive control or Vive trackers at that point and get your full positional tracking. I feel like Mocopy is going to be more appealing to people who are using, who are more cost sensitive, more price sensitive uh, on the likes of Quest and Pico. But yeah, it's, it's one of the things I'll be really curious to test out. I don't even think it's coming to the United Kingdom though. So I think you'll have to test that out. Yeah, well, they've got the the charging case for those little trackers, which is kind of a convenient add-on uh, out of the box for the Sony solution. I'm yeah. curious to see how that catches on. And then uh, we're going to need more details about Immersed Visor, I think. That's the kind of new one that's been announced by Immersed. Um, and we obviously know Samsung is doing something. They're doing something with Google, but we don't know how the platform is going to change from the Daydream platform we've seen before. I can imagine them taking Alchemy's physics-based uh, hand-tracking input systems and apply that to the whole interface. But, you know, someone has to get the guts to do that inside of Google, and we don't know if there's an executive who's going to take that risk. Uh, then there's Big Screen Beyond, which is very, very close. And then there's Immersed. What is Immersed? This is a really interesting headset. Like you said, we haven't actually seen many details about this. Everything shown so far has been a render. They haven't actually even demonstrated a prototype, but this is a really interesting headset. So it's someone in the CM design philosophy is Big Screen Beyond. They want to make a very, very small headset, but unlike Big Screen Beyond, this thing actually has a full suite of components on board. It has inside-out tracking. It has a chipset. It has hand tracking and eye tracking all of these things built in. And it's not a general purpose PC VR headset. It's not a Steam VR headset. Instead, it's designed to specifically interface with Immersed software on your PC, the same software you would use when using Immersed with your Quest. If you're not familiar with what Immersed is, it is software that lets you spawn up to five monitors uh, in VR based on your PC. So even if you have one one real monitor. You can spawn four extra virtual monitors around it and use your Windows or Mac or even Linux PC as if you have as many up to five monitors as you want. You can position them to whatever size you want. Immersed software is going to interface directly with this headset. So you put this thing on and they claim within seconds, even if you've just booted up your laptop, within seconds, you're in this virtual environment with your monitors ready to go for work. And they're actually claiming this thing is going to have 4K per eye displays. So that's a lot higher resolution than big screen beyond 2.5K. Again, it's a different headset. It's not a general purpose headset. This isn't for VR chat. This isn't for VR gaming. This isn't for sim racing. This is specifically for people who want to be able to turn their laptop or single monitored PC into a infinite virtual workspace. I, again, as you've said, Ian, we need to see a lot more from this to really say what we think because they have only showed renders, they've only showed concepts of the software. But I don't think this is vaporware because they're partnering with Qualcomm on the headset side, Qualcomm being the company that provides the chips for Pico and Quest, and they're partnering with Intel on the PC side. Everyone knows what Intel is. And they also say they have a third 
unannounced big tech partner that they will uh, reveal later this year. And the speculation has been rife as to who that is. And I personally have no idea. Yeah, we will be looking for more details on that one. And we will have more on Big Screen Beyond soon. And we will be on the lookout for what Samsung announces with its next partnership with uh, Google. Uh, obviously, the thing we're expecting there is maybe maybe it got delayed. Uh, maybe that's the the latest timeline that we're seeing there. Yeah, Samsung announced officially in February that they were building an XR headset. And then with Google, they announced that Google was going to handle the software at Google I.O. Google kind of alluded to this in talking about building an Android OS version for XR. Uh, that looks like what's going to happen here. Google is going to use Samsung as their first partner and then try to copy their strategy with phones where they provide the operating system, the Play Store, all of the Google services for headset makers to run on their headset. So we'll see Samsung at the start. Maybe we'll see LG, maybe even you know HTC like they did with smartphones, or maybe HTC will continue on their own XR Elite platform. Uh, the point is that if you're a headset maker or you're a hardware company that wants to make a headset, once Google's project is up and running, you will no longer have to spin your own platform like Pico and HTC have done. That obviously has a disadvantage, though, in that these headset companies actually make money from that platform. That's how they make the majority of their profit. These headsets aren't currently sold at any kind of huge margin, but it'll be uh, fascinating to see what Samsung brings here. That report you're alluding to, Ian, yeah, came out last month from a uh, respected South Korean news outlet, SBS Biz, and they have claimed that once Samsung saw Apple Vision Pro's presentation and specs and design, they actually decided to delay this project to redesign their headset and upgrade the specs. And this image you're seeing here is from a Chinese news outlet that has claimed to have gotten images of an earlier Samsung prototype. So this is presumably the headset before uh, Samsung saw what Apple is showing. And now reportedly Samsung is going to kind of not fully go back to the drawing board, but are gonna have to up their game to really compete. Because according to the same Chinese news outlet, Samsung are intending to go uh, price this thing somewhere between a thousand and two thousand dollars, somewhere between Quest 3 and Apple Vision Pro. Uh, the headset seen here has kind of Quest 2 like tracking cameras, but Quest 3 like pass through cameras with a depth sensor on the other side. And yeah, it will apparently use Samsung's own chip that is somewhere between the XR2 Gen 1 in Quest 2 and the XR2 Gen 2 that's coming in Quest 3. So a uh, interesting product here. And obviously, the thing that they hope brings up the price and makes it worth it is that they want to use OLED micro displays similar to what you'd see in Beyond and Immersed Visor and Apple Vision Pro rather than the lower resolution bulkier LCD that Quest 3 is using. So a really weird midpoint of Quest 3 and Apple Vision Pro is what we might expect here. Yeah, and I wonder about the platforms that might ever come out for a device like this, right? So what amount of funding is going to be thrown at developers who make something for this is is a real question for me i maybe people like blair uh or Guy in our comments have better insight into kind of the, the funding landscape right now for developers but it's you've got a small group of developers who know what to do with hand controllers know how to make kind of creative interesting interactions and then build a whole game around that with controllers 
And then you're kind of throwing everyone back into the beginning waters again with hand tracking input. And if if you're looking at what Apple did with Vision Pro and just throw out all of your kind of like planning when it comes to controller tracking and kind of like if you if you shift directions midway and don't support controller tracking all the way through you could be missing a huge opportunity like we're how many years into this david where uh pico shipped competing hardware for the quest platform they shipped it at competing price right they even undercut the quest in some places and ways and they still i would argue have barely dented even come i know they're still not in like the biggest market but they haven't even like why would they is i guess the argument if they're not going to match the software library now we're talking about starting this again with hand tracking well i I would say people do underestimate where pico is with their software library a recent analysis showed that three and four Quest store apps are now actually available on Pico. They have done a lot of investment and a lot of uh, work to make sure that they are almost equivalent. Now, they're, other than those big meta exclusives, pretty much every game that you can get on Quest, you can also get on Pico. It's hard to tell how well they've done because, as you say, they're not available in North America yet. But I had Pico launched Pico 4 in North America, I wouldn't have counted them out. The problem is now... You know they they've missed that opportunity. It's either going to be something that happens too late because Quest Three will already be out, or with their next hardware, which we don't know whether they're going to go for the Quest Three approach or if, like you might expect, Chinese companies to do are going to go and chase Apple Vision Pro instead. I I, I think obviously though Google is a much bigger player than uh, Pico in in this, and Google is going to be the one if they're doing the, the software library that's going to be responsible for building out content. Maybe Samsung will financially contribute to it, but that's going to be Google's responsibility. And Google has the war chest to do that. But the big problem with Google is they have absolutely murdered their developer trust over the year when it comes to Daydream. They had, you know, we're, we're almost forgetting to say here, Google had a VR platform and they killed it. They they killed it after funding developers to build games for it. Google had Stadia and they killed it while dev- Developers were still in the middle of building games for Stadia and told them on the same day as everyone else. In fact, some of those developers were in the middle of their day job working on a Stadia exclusive when they checked the news and saw that Stadia had been killed. That is going to be Google's biggest liability here. How on earth does a developer trust Google to actually stick to this and not just continue, not just treat it as a side project that gets abandoned when the executive who launched it jumps over to another tech company and when, you know, the, the three smart engineers that were actually working on it get bored and go work on something else at Google. That's the real challenge here. Thank you, Gamertag. Gamertag VR in our comments saying, uh, please like. Also want to say uh, to our subscribers out there over on the membership site, uh, go to uploadvr.com. In the corner, there's a support us button. It's a wonderful way to support independent journalism covering this space. We uh, are doing more and more all the time. We've taken a big breather this summer to get everything back into place. But we are going to be back here uh, hopefully every week. And we know we've got a packed schedule uh, coming up between the September launch of Quest 3 and then what is sure to be a very big push software-wise over on PSVR 2. And then uh, I don't know what's going to happen on the PC VR side of things, but 
Uh, we'll see how Big Screen Beyond lands uh, on the PC side of things and see if any software uh, sort of releases to, to get people coming back on the PC side. We'll also see whether Quest 3's advantages in you know its pancake lenses and the Wi-Fi 6E that we recently reported it will have will mean that it's actually used quite a lot as a PC headset. That'll be fascinating to see. How does Quest 3 compare? How long does it take Quest 3 to take over Quest 2 on the Steam hardware survey? And obviously there's the massive elephant in the room that we're ignoring, but that could happen anytime or never. It could happen now or in the year 2152 is Valve. <laughs> Valve could decide to actually follow up the index after four, more than four years now with a successor. And obviously, you know, you can look at our reporting on this and uh, sadly it's Bradley's uh, data mining on this, but it looks almost certain that that headset is going to be a standalone headset with PC capability, just like a Quest or a Pico. Uh, you know, so it's fascinating to see how will, will that spur PC VR? Will, will Valve focus more on content for the standalone mode or will they focus more on content for PC mode or Will they somehow, you know, defy the laws of physics and somehow bridge those both into the same thing? Uh, doubtful, but it'll be fascinating to see how Valve approaches PC VR in the years to come because they are the platform holder. They haven't really done anything in recent years. Half-Life Alex, they launched the headset, they launched Half-Life Alex, and then they kind of just disappeared. Yeah. All right, we're ready to talk about the next subject. I'm getting near the end of my battery life on the Quest Pro here. Uh, what do you want to talk about next? Yeah, do we want to just quickly cover uh, the AR glasses reports that have come out recently? Yeah, sure. So we've been obviously watching this for a long time. I mentioned earlier in the show, I've been using the Ray-Ban Story sunglasses, which are basically just simple sunglasses with cameras on them uh, and a little bit of relaying off to your phone for some of the computing power or for handing off commands. Um, they're cool. You can get nice, cool video, 30 seconds or 60 seconds at a shot directly on your glasses. I've used them for various tourists sort of going to a new location and seeing a new place, uh, get a cool, stabilized video. But you've got to do hundreds of times more than that for an AR glasses experience in that same form factor. And that's why those glasses exist right now, is that's the overall aim. Well... We've been promised it for a decade already. Are we going to go another decade before we actually see this, David Heaney? So based on the reports, no, but it depends on how you define see this. So uh, we're basing what we are about to say off reports from the information and from The Verge. And both of these companies, both of these news outlets have claimed to have seen internal meta documents and roadmaps explaining that meta plans to produce uh, not release, but produce three different glasses in the next four years. Well, four actually. So what's coming first, apparently, in uh, either later this year or early next year is a follow-up to those Ray-Ban story camera glasses that just have better cameras and that's it. So not no magical fancy features, just same camera glasses, better cameras. What's apparently going to be produced next year, though, in 2024 is a very high-end, cutting-edge AR glasses 
except they're not going to be released to consumers. Meta will reportedly produce only a thousand of these things and they will use them as a demonstration of the future. Cynics, and I would probably agree with this, would say that this is more a way to appease investors and show that the tens of billions that Meta has been spending over the past eight years to develop AR glasses have not been put into a giant money pit and that AR glasses are actually possible. Now, reportedly, these glasses next year that Meta will produce 1,000 of will use silicon carbide waveguides and micro led displays so micro led being that completely new display technology distinct from oled and lcd that companies are trying to figure out how to mass produce meta hasn't figured out how to mass produce it but it can produce a thousand of them so it's going to build these kind of demonstrator glasses that prove that ar glasses can eventually reach this sci-fi dream that we've all talked about it'll probably show them off to journalists like us at maybe MetaConnect 2024. It'll show them to maybe, you know, business leaders and politicians and developers and kind of uh, influencers perhaps and show the world that Meta can build these sci-fi AR glasses, but it can't reportedly mass produce them. And because of that, the AR glasses that they will reportedly release to consumers in 2027 uh, three years later, will actually reportedly be downgraded from these 2024 super glasses. They will be using traditional glass waveguides and LCOS displays. So they'll be able to produce around 50,000 of those and they'll be priced at, you know, somewhere reportedly between maybe $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 for early adopters and widespread developers and enthusiasts. And that will be the kind of first AR glasses for Meta that an average person so, can buy. So it's been a long time since we've gotten to meet in the studio and, and ask each other some of these questions. But having seen some of the stuff that Meta did, having uh, seen everything happen with Quest Pro over the last six months, uh, is there a narrative in your head? Do you think this is accurate? Um, Meta wasn't bold enough with the Quest Pro. They didn't put enough hardware into the Quest Pro to make an appealing device. They should have taken it to a higher price, above $1,500, gone to $2,000 or $3,000 or even $4,000 for a headset to test the waters for a fully uh, realized computing standalone device uh, that, that's more akin to uh, a Chromebook or a laptop. Should they have done that? with quest pro right out of the bat and are they going to learn that lesson when they make these ar glasses there are i think yes overall but there is a big big problem with it and i think it's going to be a big problem with these glasses in that if you do that if you take the idea that these products these high-end products should be used to prove the future to prove to every every skeptic out there that this is the experience that they want to eventually deliver is going to be possible to really deliver uh, let me just check that we're still on stream. Our light just went from red to green. Did you see that? Yeah. Let us know in the chat quickly if we've gone off stream. Uh, apparently, we're still streaming. That is obviously just some sort of... Oh, there we're, we're back now, hopefully. So yeah, I th the, the big advantage of proving the future is that you create excitement about the technology, be it VR or AR, you show that the future is possible and then you can build your product towards it. The disadvantage though is that people are going to compare the real products that you actually ship to it. The problem if Meta had gone for a uh, a, a complete 
you know, as, as amazing uh, micro display, uh, high-end chips that headset with Quest Pro is that people would then look at Quest 3 and go, oh, well, that's nothing near that. The problem with these glasses, these demonstrator glasses coming next year, is that people are going to then look at the glasses that are actually available to buy in 2027 and say and talk about all the ways in which they're inferior. So Meta is going to shoot themselves in the foot so, while also proving the future. So like an Oculus Rift and an Oculus Go? Kind of, yeah. That In a way, if, if there hadn't been positionally tracked VR before Oculus Go, it probably would have been seen as a much more impressive product. Obviously, HTC Vive would have existed as well. But if you imagine a world where Oculus Go launched before the Rift and Vive, it actually would be a pretty remarkable product for its time. The problem is that it came after without all of these capabilities. From what we know, though, the, the, these classes will still have, will be much more comparable they will still have, you know, positioning of virtual objects in your world. It'll just be that it uses kind of less bright displays and a lower field of view compared to the demonstrator glasses. I should note also that there is going to be a another pair of glasses we haven't mentioned yet in 2025, reportedly, a third generation of Ray-Ban stories that has a heads-up display. So it can't position virtual objects in your world. It can't do this. It can't put a chess board on your table. But what it can do is give you a viewfinder for taking pictures. It can give you a little display to show subtitles when someone's talking in a foreign language. It can uh, let you kind of translate things. It can show you heads-up, step-by-step notifications for navigating on foot or even in your car. That'll be a fascinating product because they can potentially deliver that for somewhere around $500. Whereas these glasses that come out in 2027 are reportedly going to be on the order of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, I'm getting right near the end of my battery and I really want to hear about what happened in Los Angeles. So we, we unleashed David Heaney from the internet. We unshackled him from his constraints in the metaverse and we sent him on a plane to Los Angeles to check out Meta's research headsets. I uh, am dying to hear what you thought. We saw, uh, we actually met David Heaney for the first time at Seagraph last year. Felt like a smaller conference than I had remembered. It uh, was clearly still coming back from COVID. Uh, people were still getting used to kind of like the how they wanted to do a conference again, whether they wanted to have their masks on or not. Um, it feels like it was a little bit bigger this year. Is that right? And what did you see? Yeah, I'd say it was bigger this year. Uh, I think being in the United States probably helped it, as well as obviously us being a lot further from the peak of the pandemic. There were maybe like, whereas, I I don't know, maybe a third of people when we were there were wearing a mask, maybe half. This time uh, in LA last week, there was maybe 1% or 2% of people wearing a mask. It was, you know, a much larger conference uh, where that wasn't really a, a thing anymore. So I got to see, as I mentioned at the start of this show, two meta headsets the first is this one butterscotch verifocal and this is a demonstration of two visual technologies in one the first is retinal resolution so that's angular resolution that is high enough to be at near the limit of what the human eye can actually discern so that's no pixelation no aliasing no difficulty reading even the smallest of text if if you could read it in real life if you could see it in real life as a as a visual detail you could see it in this headset. The other thing that it had was verifocal. So the displays move backwards and forwards in real time based on your eye tracking to adjust 
the focal distance to be the distance to the virtual object that you're looking at. That means that you no longer get eye strain in the same way that you get with current fixed focus headsets. It means that you can focus on objects that are incredibly close to your face down to 20 centimeters in this specific headset. And it also had a more subtle effect that I was really, really happy to see because I'd theorized that I, I, you would feel this, which is that everything feels slightly more real. One of the depth cues that we get in real life is focus, is the is the fact that your eyes um, focus, accommodate to different distances based on what you're looking at. And it's something that's missing in all released headsets today. So the uh, you know the experience of this together of retinal resolution and of verifocal lenses together was stunning to behold. It I held some small virtual objects in my hand, including a, a little circuit board, including a virtual phone that was displaying an article, and including a model Formula One car, and they looked real. They really did. You could in the Formula One car, I could bring it close to my face and read text that was inside the cockpit again this is like a model car that a child would have that fits in your hand and i could hold it so close that i could read details in the cockpit when i was holding up the virtual phone it felt just as legible as my real phone if not slightly more because the pixel density would actually have been higher than in my actual real phone and when I f held up things like the pineapple and the circuit board it was incredible i also even got to try lone echo 2 this was not some you know custom software that would never work with normal games. I was in Lone Echo 2. I was face-to-face -face with the characters there. It looked incredible. And it's one of those things that, again, like I said before, just reminds you of how far the current technology has to go and how promising the future of VR hardware is. So in your write-up of this, you called it, you said it was almost entirely real. And... I, I could have pushed back on you a little bit when you were doing that write-up. I, I let it stand. We, it, that's how we published it. But in the respects that it wasn't real were brightness and field of view, the things that are pushed in other designs to an extraordinary degree, right? Yeah. So I don't think field of view is a detraction from real because you can imagine going around in real life with blinders that reduce your field the view to any amount of narrowness and it still feels real. If you're looking at your real room with blinders on, it still looks real. It's just you can't see much. Uh, uh, one of the key things to know about this headset is that it is not trying to demonstrate a specific technology to practically achieve either of these things, retinal or verifocal. This is a research prototype that they're using for researching the feeling of retinal and the feeling of verifocal. So this thing had a field of view only half as wide as a normal Quest. People are talking about the size of it. Yeah, it uses a very primitive method of achieving verifocal by just moving the displays back and forward. This is not supposed to be a future product. This is not supposed to be a path to a future product. It's simply showing what these things feel like so that Meta can decide how much of a priority should both of these things be in their future product designs? That's that's interesting. I, I have to think about this for a few minutes, but like I do, I do feel like I remember having these conversations with Meta Research or with somebody of just yeah, they could have thrown all of the technologies they wanted. It was Ruben. I think it was Jason Ruben made this comment years ago. They could throw everything they wanted at a headset, and it would cost ten thousand dollars to buy. And only a couple hundred people would buy it or a couple thousand people would buy it. The thing, you know, that that derisive comment like years ago, really, it feels like Apple went and did that. 
like it, they, they went and actually did exactly what meta thought leadership said that they're not going to do. Meta thought leadership goes, let's, what is going to ship to the largest number of people in the smallest amount of time. Um, and features like you're discussing inside this verifocal display, like that's, that's worth thousands of dollars to a very small number of people, isn't it? Yeah, I think Apple almost went there. Apple went in that direction. You could imagine, you know, some Apple products actually are priced around ten thousand dollars. Vision Pro is around thirty five hundred. You could imagine Apple delivering Vision Pro in an alternative world with Verifocal and bringing that price up to you know five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand dollars. But they did kind of. They landed much closer to there, but they're still not quite all the way there. Apple Vision Pro is going to deliver, you know, best in class angular resolution, but it's still not anywhere close to retinal. You know, the retinal resolution is around 60 pixels per degree. A Quest Pro gets you to around 20. Apple Vision Pro is around 35. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but roughly 35. So Apple still has an almost doubling to get there. Uh, but you know, again, this headset doesn't prove any technology that would make it even possible. The trick here is, as I said, they have the field of view to double the angular resolution. It's Artful brings up that Vario did a kind of similar thing with their headsets, kind of. Vario goes even smaller. So this thing has maybe a 50 degree field of view. Vario puts retinal resolution in about 20 degrees of your field of view and then combines it with a peripheral display that has a you know 90 degree field of view. So Apple builds the, probably the best product that you could actually reasonably ship in the near term. And, you know, it's very hard to imagine anything else Apple could have really done. They could have maybe expanded the field of view even wider, but that would then make it even kind of bulkier and heavier. And there are already complaints reportedly from some testers about the bulk and weight. But yeah, it'll Apple's going to have to build downwards while Meta's building upwards. But I think with what Apple has that Meta doesn't is the ability to build custom chips and the ability to do engineering that no one else can. We've seen some of the reports that say that Apple Vision Pro is so hard to manufacture that they're actually having difficulty finding people with small enough hands to piece the components together in factories. It's it's the most complicated product reportedly Apple has ever made. And think of all the complicated products Apple has made. So messed up. The, the there's that's a, that's a problem I hadn't heard before I hadn't heard that that one and uh yeah all right so did did we cover both the headsets the the the, the that you saw at Seagraph so the other headset I saw was Flamera I don't have a picture in the system oh, I think I'll be able to bring up a picture that's not me wearing it if you stand by but I'll just talk about what that was uh anyone who's tried pass through on Quest Pro or even on Quest Two will understand that it uses uh, reprojection. It is taking in the camera views that are nowhere near where your real eyes are and using fancy image algorithms to reconstruct a view that should look like where your eyes really are. And obviously today, this is a very, very imperfect process. You get all sorts of wobbly distortion over your field of vision. There is a latency incurred. There's a quality loss. The pass-through experience on Quest Pro is pretty terrible compared to what you would expect from marketing images or from your ideal headset where you put it on and it just looks like you're looking through a transparent optic. Flamera is a, a radical approach to a hardware solution to this where instead of doing reprojection they use a a lot of different lenses 
with a fixed aperture so that they're capturing the light from each direction. Only each, sorry, each opt, each lens captures only the light from one specific direction. And then they don't have to use any complicated algorithm to fuse that together. Because this is also a very thin headset, it's very, very close to where your face is. And the, uh, the image that you get to see through this essentially feels like you're just looking through a, from a distortion perspective, it looks like you're just looking through a transparent optic. Now, the caveat here is that the display system they're using here is actually a waveguide system from a uh, the, the the kind that would be used in you know transparent headsets. It is an interesting decision that they decided to demonstrate a state-of-the-art capture system with a really terrible display system. So the actual image you saw, I saw was washed out. It was 60 frames per second. It had ghosting. It was not great overall. But if you understood what you were actually seeing and you looked at the fact that your hand was perspective correct, depth correct, you understand that there was no distortion when you're moving things around, that you could pick up objects and there was no kind of a double imaging effect or no ghost trails, you can understand why this is very, very impressive. So this is something that I hope that they demonstrate in future with a better display system, such as the uh, the hollow kick optics that they talked about last year. But this is going to be something that I write up in the next few days. Uh, I would recommend you read that write up for more detailed thoughts. Yeah, our commenters cannot get over how much it looks like a bug. I, I like to imagine that there's like a whole universe of comic book villains that are going to be written in the future just based on meta prototypes that various people wore. There's, of course, that reverse pass-through uh, display image that was instant nightmare fuel. And uh, yeah, people talking about the fly with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I can see that. So the, the, when I was speaking to some of the meta researchers, they actually said it would be possible to build reverse pass-through on this. Reverse pass-through, for anyone not familiar, being the display in front that passes through your eyes. So there's actually a way to pass only some of the light through to these cameras and uh, through to these lenses, sorry, and uh, only... Yeah, it, it should be possible to combine them together. I would love to see that as a prototype. So cover up your bug eyes with human eyes, a layer of, okay. Yeah, right. ex exactly. Uh, you know, my, my personal thoughts on this is that I expect that the, I, I expect that reprojection, thanks to machine learning, will probably get a lot better, a lot quicker in Quest 3 and Vision Pro and then in, in their successors to the point where this is probably not going to be all that necessary. But Again, this will all be in the article. They have talked about an approach that is essentially just, yeah. a midpoint between the two. Now you've you've just unsettled me, and I've unsettled our audience with the idea that we're going to put on our insect suits to go outside in the future, and then we can. Uh, but we've got an overlay of human suit over the insect suit, so that we can look like actual humans uh, beyond our our in between. Uh, protective gear. Wow, we are back. This is the RVR download. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Please like and become members over on uploadvr.com to support our work. Uh, get rid of the ads on the website. We are going to plan lots of things for the rest of the year. I saw someone asking whether we are planning another showcase. We are uh, for late in the year. That should be uh, planned. It'll be a little bit different than the summer showcase. The summer one People are really trying to hype up their end-of-the-year games uh, and get people excited for the year following. So it could be a different kind of arrangement of things that are coming at the end of the year. But we are planning that, and we'll have more info soon. Thank you so much. We'll see you, hopefully, next Tuesday around the same time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone.